If you don't feel an overwhelming urge to blast Immigrant Song on the way out of Thor Ragnarok, best to turn back now. This episode might not be for you. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to Ragnarok and roll as we go in-depth on the latest Marvel Studios release, Thor Ragnarok. But before we hop aboard the Bifrost and onward to Asgard, which sounds a lot dirtier than it actually is, I wanted to share my thoughts on another film that a lot of cinephiles and critics have been talking about in recent months, and that is Sean Baker's The Florida Project. This is the uh, most recent film from the director of Tangerine, which made a big splash in the indie circuit, uh, I believe last year, a couple years ago, I think. And um, this one is set in Florida, Central Florida, around the Orlando area, right outside of Disney World, which apparently was initially known by Walt Disney as the Florida Project. And, of course, there's a little bit of a play on words there with projects, you know, talking about the projects with leaving these families and uh, kids and stuff that live in these motels, sort of in the Orlando, Kissimmee area. And um, it follows a group of kids living in a motel and kind of... Basically, a slice of life type of film. And, um, you know, living in Florida, there's a lot of it that feels very familiar. There's a lot of it, there, there's certain parts of it that, uh, you know, I, parts of uh, Florida, that in Kissimmee and Orlando, that we've driven past, that we've drove, you know, driven through. You know, Kai spent a lot of her life in Orlando. So, uh, you know, she didn't see this film with me, but I think I'm curious to see how she's going to connect with it. But it's the kind of movie that you spend two hours be really being really frustrated with the characters on screen. Um, you know, there uh, this a lot of the parents in here. One specifically, it focuses it focuses mostly on a character called Mooney and her mother and uh, and the relationship there there and um, her really shitty kind of parenting of her kid quite frankly i mean she tries her best but she's just like you know struggling and that kind of thing and there's certain um elements of that that play out throughout the course of the movie but i want to give particular praise to brooklyn prince who plays mooney and willem dafoe who plays a character called bobby who's sort of the manager of the central motel that uh that it's kind of at this the you know the heart of the film and uh, there was a lot of, in this movie that I really enjoyed. Uh, the performances are stellar. The the writing, I mean, the kids in this movie don't feel like uh, like actors. They feel um, they feel like uh, they feel just like real kids. It just it almost has like a pseudo documentary feel at times, and um, I think that that lends a lot of uh, gravity to what's playing out on screen. It's. Uh, very much a drama, very much a kind of harrowing drama in a lot of ways, but it's not without moments of lightness, moments of, of beauty and elegance, and sort of capturing the wonder of childhood, uh, though in a very stark, uh, you know, stark and realistic way at times. Uh, the ending has been very divisive. I know a lot of people are sort of uh, mixed on on uh, the message that that ending is, is trying to send. I particularly actually kind of enjoy it um i think that it it's trying to make a very specific but we're getting to spoilers this is kind of a harder movie to delve into but i think there's a very specific point that sean baker is trying to make here with the contrast of the you know last 15 to 20 seconds 
of the film and the the kind of heart-wrenching uh, tale that directly precedes it. Um, overall, this is one of those films that's hard to say that it's um, entertaining. It is entertaining, but it's more like stressful to watch than anything else. Uh, very, very different than Thor Ragnarok, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, but it's still probably if not in my top 10 of the year, just outside it, as far as, you know, my favorite movies of the year, as far as best, well, you know, best made films of 2017, I'd probably put that, put it at the top of the list. So I'm going to go about 4.5 out of 5 for The Florida Project. A really impressive film, but if you're the type of person that does not want to uh, be reminded of reality uh, and how shitty it can be, which, you know, we we're all kind of know with everything that's going on in the news, um, you, if you're looking for escapism, this is not a good film for that, but if you're looking for, you know, a, uh, very, uh, a very well-made, well-produced, uh, well-acted, well-directed, and well-written bit of, uh, you know, American cinema, kind of trying to capture a specific lifestyle of a certain subset of people, and a very specific, um, part of America, and uh, one that's sort of emblematic of the themes that Sean Baker's trying to get to with this film. Uh, definitely check out The Florida Project um, if you can find it in your town. I had to basically not hunt it down because it was playing at the nearest, you know, at, at an AMC uh, not that far from my house. But um, it's definitely in limited release. So if you can't see it in theaters, I would definitely track it down as soon as it hits, you know, VOD or Redbox or whatever. So that'll be all for the Florida Project. So let's move into our feature presentation, our review of Thor Ragnarok. Asgard is dead. Over. It's main event time. We know each other. He's a friend from work. That's never going to stop being hilarious. I We'll get to that moment in a little bit. But so for those of you who are not too familiar with our reviews, our featured presentation reviews on the Crooked Table podcast, we're going to talk about the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and then finally the verdict. So the hype. Thor Ragnarok, directed by Taika Waititi and written by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Christopher Yost, undoubtedly marks a departure for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The 17th entry in the most prolific and impactful franchise to hit screens since Bond, it goes without saying that Thor Ragnarok has a built-in fan base. You guys know that I'm in the bag for all the MCU films, and really superheroes in general. We'll get to Justice League in a couple weeks. Then the first two Thor films, you know, I enjoy them. The first tries to toe a balance between the Shakespearean drama that director Kenneth Branagh brings to it and the fish-out-of-water comedy um, when Thor lands on Earth in New Mexico, of all places. And then mostly works out fine. The second, despite holding on to the disposable human characters and featuring easily the weakest MCU villain to date in Malekith, the Dark Elf, I guess, but who cares about him because, you know, nobody does. Uh, the second one has its moments. 
mostly due to a little bit of more uh, a little bit more wo world building and a more tangible look to Asgard as well as of course the return of Tom Hiddleston's fan favorite Loki so going into Thor Ragnarok we knew we were gonna get some follow-up to Loki's deception in posing as Odin on the throne uh, at the end of the Dark World and Avengers Age of Ultron which set up the impending apocalypse heading to Thor's homeworld However, the marketing campaign really played up the wackier side of the MCU's cosmic entries, making it feel a lot more like Guardians of the Galaxy than the previous two Thor films. I mean, you had it right in the trailer, the, of which I just played a, a clip, um, just in you know the sort of uh, bright neon logo and uh, the pop music in the trailer itself. Uh, it definitely seemed like they were going for a very different vibe with this. And with Waititi, best known for sly comedies like What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, both of which I would highly recommend you check out. Both are very strong films um, and worth uh, worth tracking down. With Waititi behind it, this certainly seemed to be what Marvel was aiming for in taking a vastly different spin on Thor. And uh, it appeared to be a promising way to inject life into a character that is easily the blandest, most vanilla of the three big Avengers that have been the foundations of the MCU since Phase 1. But does YTT manage to zap new creative juice into Thor like his signature lightning bolts? The story. Fuck yes, he does. This movie is a ton of fun. So right from the jump, Waititi establishes that this is not the same type of Thor film we've seen before. We get fourth wall breaking narration, sort of, in the opening scene. We get a showdown with Surtur, the fire demon, which is about as broad and fantastical and crazy as you can squeeze out of uh, <laughs> squeeze out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least since we had Kurt Russell as a fucking living planet. And uh, the first of two instances in which Led Zeppelin's immigrant song blares during an intense battle scene. That's the first five minutes. From there, Waititi sets out to basically dismantle everything that has come before, tying up loose ends, almost as if in defiance of Marvel Studios overlord Kevin Feige, who miraculously loosened, loosened the reins here, even more so than in the third Iron Man and Captain America films. In short order, Loki is dethroned. That's not a spoiler because I mean you see right in the trailer that Loki is clearly not in on in control of Asgard, and Kate Blanchett's Hela is off to conquer her former homeworld, where the status quo is instantly thrown off balance beyond recognition, as well as the supporting cast from the previous Thor movies. Sorry for fans of the Warriors Three. In its first act. Thor Ragnarok is a bit jarring and does take a while to really find its footing and establish itself as the quasi-reboot, at least tonally, that it truly is. Thor, of course, finds himself lost on the remote planet of Sakaar and without his trusty hammer Molnir or his luscious locks, which is the real tragedy of this film. Forget about what's, uh, you know, prophesied for uh, Asgard itself. It's the fact that we lost those... those uh, Thoriel, as that meme likes to point out, uh, hairstyle that has made Chris Hemsworth's character such a heartthrob, I guess, throughout these films. Anyway, on Sakaar, that's where Thor encounters Hulk, a reveal that's sadly deflated by the marketing campaign, the trailer which I just played, and would have really been a much better moment had they not spoiled it right, you know, from the beginning of the marketing, but, you know, whatever, you gotta sell your movie, I get it. And discovers and and uh, Thor discovers an ancient Asgardian warrior, in Valkyrie. The mission then becomes clear: recruit help and return to Asgard to prevent Hela from causing Ragnarok and the destruction of Asgard itself. 
So along the way, the film throws more than a few uh, curveballs, lacing even the grimmest moments and circumstances with a playful sense of humor. This is Thor as pure lunacy, hearkening back to space adventures like Flash Gordon. It's it has much more in common with 1980s um, adventures and, and sci-fi films, and just, just it just throws everything out there. Uh, from the previous films and really does represent sort of a fresh start. And YTT has more or less said that in interviews that I've heard that the film sort of feels like a first Thor movie, uh, like sort of a reboot, but with the same cast. And I think that that sort of soft reboot play on the Thor franchise was much needed and I think it really uh, reinvigorates the character in this uh, this particular corner of the MCU. So the fact that literally everything is a joke in this film, however, does feel overdone at times, at least for me, uh, but it's certainly a welcome change of pace to the staid self-seriousness that plagued the previous two films really more than it should have. I mean, this is a world where we have Norse gods and, uh, you know, men who turn into green rage beasts and uh, people wearing wearing American flags wrapped around their waist that are frozen for 70 years. Like, this is a world where, you know, comic books in general are very fantastical and were initially, at least, really more aimed at children. So when a film sort of embraces the ludicrous side of it and goes balls to the wall with it, you, you got to sort of you got to sort of appreciate that. So when films that so that try to blend taking those things seriously between and poking fun of them, it doesn't like you, you sort of have to pick a lane, I think. And a lot of the divide lately with the film side of things between Marvel and DC fans has really sort of centered on all oh, Marvel films are silly and they're really for family audiences or whatever. And DC takes their characters seriously. And I think that that's, first of all, a broad generalization. And secondly, you know, that's not necessarily necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you're just saying, you're, you're saying that basically comedy and drama, that drama is inherently stronger than comedy just because it's serious. And I don't think that that has anything to do with the storytelling prowess of, uh, you know, the film at hand. And so when, with Thor, the previous two tried to, be silly but also be serious and I think this one just commits to the silly in a way that the other two seem sort of uh, too reserved to really go for and for this one reportedly 80% of the film was improvised and it's really easy to see that reflected in the finished product thankfully Thor Ragnarok doesn't neglect subtext and subtext my mouth was dry and emotional stakes in its quest to create a high-spirited spectacle for moviegoers. They do have plenty of moments in there for character beats and uh, to to give a, a sort of greater sense to the impact that this has on the MCU, on these characters' lives, and, you know, we'll get into that in a second. As far as the cast, specifically Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston, really anchor this film once again as Thor and Loki. The heart of these movies has always been... The relationship between these two brothers. Yeah, we had Odin in there. We had, you know, a Jane Foster and there's sort of a romance thing. But the the fact of the matter is that the emotional connection was never really, oh, I really hope Thor and Jane make it through each of these movies. It's been this relationship between Thor and Loki. And this movie sort of sidesteps a lot of uh, that other that other distraction and focuses in on the fact that it is about these two brothers. And that's what the Thor films have always really uh, hinged on. 
While the former, that being Thor, has really been allowed to tap into his innate sense of humor and almost parody the sort of pompous muscle head that he started as in the first movie, largely, um, you know, obsessed with the throne, ready to go to battle at a moment's notice, not really thinking things through. The latter, that being Loki, really gets the chance, truthfully for the first time, to delve into a new dimension of the god of mischief. Um, in particular, Thor and Loki have a sort of heart-to-heart -heart conversation um, I'd say probably towards the tail end of the second act, beginning of the third, that demonstrates just how much they have or haven't changed since they made their MCU debut in 2011. The dynamic between the two of them has drastically shifted since we have that flashback in the first movie where they're both being raised by Odin to be kings and uh, have sort of wrestled over the throne of Asgard and, um, you know, and mostly due to Loki's kind of obsession with ruling. And uh, the film Thor Ragnarok leaves them both in an intriguing new place that opens up a new realm of possibilities for where they might go in Avengers Infinity War and thereafter. I'm trying to avoid spoilers here. I think I may have mentioned on the podcast, or at least I was considering doing a spoiler review for this, but I, I want to sort of hype it up. And I feel like if I get too deep into spoilers, we'll just be here all day. And I'll be like, that part was so cool, blah, blah, blah. And it's really a movie that you should experience for yourself because as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts and saw the trailers and stuff, I did feel like uh, even in the non-spoiler content that I listened to, you know, as far as other critics kind of touching base on their thoughts of it, you know, that it saved the film early, there were certain jokes and moments that were, uh, that I knew about going in and it may have affected my enjoyment of the film just a bit. So um, it's best to go in as, as cold as possible. And I don't really... I don't really get into too many specifics on this episode. Going back to the cast, the uh, Kate Blanchett, of course, joins the MCU here as the villainous Hela, an ancient Asgardian with questionable ties to the royal family and Asgard's very history. Now, the MCU obviously doesn't have the best track record when it comes to its villains, um, but this year has been a pretty strong has been pretty strong in that department between Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, Spider-Man: Homecoming both delivering satisfying villains with a more a more relatable motivation than simply a mad desire for power. This is not Ronan the Accuser. This is not Malekith the Dark Elf. This isn't even the Red Skull, who I think was just basically drawn by a desire for power, but was still kind of magnetic in spite of that. Um, I, I'm crediting Hugo Weaving mostly with uh, making that work. But um, here, Hela naturally is mad for power, but more than that, she has a real reason for feeling like she's entitled to it. Um, her point of view has true validity to it, and when you get into her backstory, um, it's, it's easy to see why she feels like, uh, you know, this is kind of owed to her, why she was wronged in the past, and why, you know, it's her, now her time to shine, and to hell with anyone that's going to stand in her way. But, you know, despite her violent nature, there's reason to believe that she has sort of a method behind her madness. And thank goodness, because an actress of Blanchett's caliber, with two Oscars to her name, no less, uh, deserves nothing nothing less than, you know, a really juicy part to sink her teeth into. And boy, does she. Uh, she chews up the scenery here with such gusto, delivering her lines with the appropriate amount of venom and or casual malice. And she actually even has a few moments where she's able to sort of crack wise and... Uh, use a little bit of sarcasm in there, which, you know, is, as everyone knows, is one of a villain's 
greatest weapons is their sarcastic nature. Uh, Tessa Thompson of Creed and Dear White People fame also shines as the aforementioned Valkyrie. What's remarkable about this character is that Thor Ragnarok isn't afraid to let her fall squarely in that gray moral area for much of the film. Um, as female leads go, she's a huge step up from Natalie Portman's Jane Foster, who I've always found really sort of insipid. Um, basically, you know, I love Natalie Portman and, you know, Black Swan is great. She's even decent as Padme in the Star Wars prequels. But um, Jane Foster's just usually been uh, vacillating between, I'm a smart scientist person and, oh my God, Thor's so dreamy. And has that's as far as her depth really goes. And their love story was never interesting to me. And as much as Portman is, uh, you know, a talented actress, I always felt like she was really wasted in these roles as basically the, you know, doe-eyed admirer of Thor. So it's nice that they uh, they just sidestepped her and just be like, oh, oh, they broke up. Oh, well, whatever. Um, and they really should have just taken the leap and killed that character in the second film and given uh, Thor's battle with Malekith more stakes as a result. But, you know, whatever, we can't go back and remake Thor The Dark World, nor should we really want to, because, uh, you know, there's better things that lie ahead. Um, so as for Valkyrie, she isn't really relegated to the role of love interest like Jane Foster was. She's not sidelined like Lady Sif, who regrettably doesn't appear here thanks to Jamie Alexander's blind spot schedule. And she's not even held up as a shiking, shining beacon of virtue like Thor and Loki's late mother, Frigga. She's a very complicated person with her own emotional baggage. It has a full arc that plays out here. She's got a drinking problem. She's got uh, baggage. Uh, she's got an attitude with Asgard and her, you know, her the role that she played in that in that society. And um, she's uh, she's you know been described as very much the Han Solo of this piece, and I think that makes a lot of sense. She's out for herself for a lot of this film, and uh, I think Tessa Thompson has a lot of fun with the role, uh, playing sort of a, um, you know, a roguish, uh, I guess, mercenary type in this one. As I said, Hulk does factor prominently into the film. Unfortunately, like I said, that is uh, not a surprise thanks to the marketing. And likewise, Mark Ruffalo returns to voice and uh, perform the motion capture for the character this time around. It's actually a little chattier. So we get a nice leap forward in development for Hulk and Banner. And, uh, you know, this is supposed to be the beginning of a sort of three film arc for Hulk slash Banner, um, adapting elements of the Planet Hulk storyline in here and picking up picking up uh, his story neatly from where Age of Ultron left off. We don't really get nearly enough time with Banner himself, but when we do see him, he has just as crackling chemistry with Hemsworth as his rage-filled alter ego. Um, the ensemble for Thor Ragnarok is so massive here, though, that I could go on for quite a while discussing the cast, but let's run through the, re the rest really fast. Idris Elba is fine, albeit underused as Heimdall. Um, to be honest, the Thor films have always felt sort of uh sort of do like they've done a disservice to idris elba we all know how talented and, and charismatic he is and this character has never really been uh the most active he's had a few moments to shine here and there uh, but not never really like it, it always felt like idris elba should be playing a hero not like a side character in another hero's franchise but you know whatever it's nice to have idris elba in here at all um, so, but he's, again, like I said, really underused. 
Likewise with Carl Urban as Scourge and Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Rachel House is a welcome addition here, carrying over from Waititi's Hunt for the Wilder People. And Jeff Goldblum is, well, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, oh yeah, and let's not forget Waititi himself as the lovable Korg, who's already emerging as a fan favorite. The production. Visually, Thor Ragnarok is about as dynamic as candy-colored as the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Considering how rich this world is, it's surprising how lacking the previous two movies were in terms of viewing closely to that offbeat Jack Kirby style from the comics. There's a certain magical character who appears here briefly early on, and it's almost as if he brought the energy and style from his own adventure and lent it to Thor, like passed it along to uh, you know his fellow Marvel heroes. Like here, here, you you guys need a little, you need a little boost. So uh, you know, take this. Take this uh, and do what you can with it. YTT proves here that he's more than capable of handling such a big budget tentpole, nailing the aesthetics handily. And the synth-heavy score by Mark Mothersbaugh does a lot to harken back to the 1980s sci-fi tone of the film, and the spot-on production design of Asgard makes the gilded protector of the Nine Realms feel more lived in than ever before. This is especially necessary, I think, in this movie, given the revelations that Thor Ragnarok brings to light regarding Odin, his empire, how it all got started. And it adheres to the trilogy rule that the third one is supposed to upend something that the audience thought they knew. Yes, I've seen Scream 3, and yes, I borrowed that from them, and uh, I don't need any of your shit. <laughs> yeah. Sakaar is uh, particularly eye-popping with its character design and world expansion. And all the humor and character beats in Thor Ragnarok don't really work if the world doesn't feel immersive. Luckily, in this case, it certainly all comes together, perhaps better than most MCU films, at least in my opinion. Going into the verdict, is Thor Ragnarok the best MCU film ever made? Nope. Not to me. Not, not, in, not in the eyes of this critic. But it does fit nicely at the tail end or right outside the... Uh, right inside the top five for me it's five or six it's like right right on that like precipice of cracking the top five and we're talking about 17 movies all of which i enjoy to some degree um the bottom being iron man 2 and thor the dark world but um top five or six is not a bad place for thor ragnarok considering that the first two are more on the bottom half and as much as the MCU is accused of having a strict storytelling formula, it's refreshing here to see that Marvel Studios appears to be increasingly trusting filmmakers like James Gunn, Scott Derrickson, and now Taika Waititi to bring their own vision to the material. Filled with charming performances and overflowing with jokes that come at such a fast pace, you might not mind that they don't all work, at least to me. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of a certain cameo moment, which... Again, was spoiled, and it's probably part of why it wasn't as funny, but uh, still kind of falls flat from a comedic standpoint, in my view. Thor Ragnarok is easily the best Thor film. There's an unspoken rule of trilogies in the MCU. Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor are the first ones to finish their three-film solo arcs. And while I do hope that this format stays firmly in place, we don't need 14 Iron Man movies or 700 Captain America adventures. Um, you know, we've seen in some too many other franchises the danger of just giving your, uh, giving one character infinite a number of films to tell their story. Thor Ragnarok almost makes you wish it wasn't Thor's third film. As I said, there was a lot of missed opportunities with Thor: The Dark World. Uh, I think if they had brought that same kind of energy to that film, 
then, uh, you know, fans' opinions of Thor overall may have been bolstered quite a bit just years ago. And uh, it's it's unfortunate that, that this franchise is getting such a boost this late in the game because the chances of us seeing a Thor 4, which rhymes nicely, uh, the chances of us seeing Thor 4, probably not that great uh, because Marvel has other, other stories that they want to tell. I mean, we're going to get sequels to Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, etc., etc., before we get any revisit to any of these big three um, Avengers characters from Phase 1. And, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that this is the third one and that this is basically the end of the line for Thor's solo films. But, um, you know, I think as it stands, it's, it's taken Thor Ragnarok to provide the same kind of image boost that Captain America the Winter Soldier provided to Chris Evans, Steve Rogers. Um, that movie really took Captain America, who was fine in the first Avenger, and made him uh, made him more dynamic, made him more badass, made him more complicated and more fun to watch. And Thor Ragnarok does that for its title character. Of course, we're going to see Thor, Loki, and company again in Avengers, Avengers Infinity War next year with Joe and Anthony Russo directing and uh, after Thor Ragnarok I can't wait to see what the future holds for these characters uh, much more so than before um, and if Marvel is smart they'll be sure to lock down YTT for another project or two in the coming years just because we don't get a Thor 4 doesn't mean we're not going to get plenty of Thor and Loki in the next couple Avenger movies and thereafter I'm sure I mean it's unclear exactly right now what phase 4 if they're going to even call it that is going to look like, but uh, I get a sense that, especially after this movie, Thor uh, is probably going to survive the uh, the Avengers Infinity War and Gauntlet or whatever the whole Thanos situation brings about, especially with how this film leaves him in a very, uh, a very interesting and uh, new place, really kind of closing off his, uh, his arc from the first film in a way that thematically satisfies what I was hoping or where I was hoping this film was going to leave the character when all was said and done. Um, you know, Iron Man's and Captain America's trilogies really tie off those characters' arcs in interesting ways and kind of round out the type of person that they started on and the journey that they go on and deconstructing them along the way, especially in the third entry. And I think Thor Ragnarok falls right in line with those. So, um, yeah, hope to see more from him. Overall, I think I'm going to go about four out of five for Thor Ragnarok. There were some elements of it. Like they said, the comedy is a bit heavy-handed at times. Most of the humor works, uh, but not all of it. And part of me wishes they would have dialed that down just a little bit and uh, let certain moments have the weight that they're, that they're intended. But at the same time, it's still a hell of a lot of fun. I can see myself liking this movie even more so and actually letting it crack my top five MCU films uh, by, uh, you know, on subsequent viewings. At the moment, I think it's still slightly edged out by Guardians Volume 2 because that had a lot of really funny moments, a lot of character development, um, a great soundtrack, and also hit me in the feels in a way that Thor Ragnarok doesn't even really try to do. There are certain moments where I should have been feeling something, I should have been feeling emotional, and like, and and uh, it, it didn't really register very much just because it, the film seemed more interested in, uh, in the sort of wacky vibe that it's going for, which is not a bad thing, but for a th third film and the stakes that this movie has, I feel like it does detract just a bit for me. 
Um, but that's all we have for now. That's the end of our Thor Ragnarok review. Definitely check out the movie if you haven't already. It seems like based on the box office that quite a few of you have already seen it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's encouraging because the more these, um, sort of offbeat Marvel entries perform, the more likely that the studio is to continue taking those chances and letting directors kind of, uh, bring their own, bring their own style to it rather than, um, rather than creating this sort of cookie cutter, um, superhero formula that a lot of it, the genre's biggest critics sort, um, attack it with. Um, but you know, I've always been a defender of the genre and anything new and fresh, even if it's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which yes, is a very flawed film. Uh, you know, they're trying something ambitious with that film and, um, whether Justice League will follow up on that, we'll uh, find out in a couple weeks. So that's all we have this week. Rate and review us on iTunes. If you'd be so kind. Also we're on Stitcher and you can find me, Robert Yannis Jr. on Twitter at Crooked Table. We're on Facebook and the other social medias. Find more podcast reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies at CrookedTable.com. The next episode, I'm sort of on the fence about what I want to talk about. I'm probably going to see Murder on the Orient Express between now and then. I'm thinking about doing sort of a pre-Justice League uh, discussion episode, just kind of looking back on the four... DCEU or whatever there. I know the DC Extended Universe is not really a term that is being embraced by the company at the moment, but uh, I think they should just call it the DC Multiverse and let it be because uh, that would sort of encompass the different versions of the characters that they're going to have in movies and shows and all that, and I, and I think that they should just go that route personally. But um, that'll be... If we do talk about DC stuff, that'll be next week. Until then... I've been Rob, and we'll catch you around the table next week. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.